I'm Mark Beattie, Editor-in-Chief of Frontline Gastroenterology. I'd like to highlight some of the October content from the journal. The first article I'd like to talk about is Practical Management of Polyposis Syndromes. These are rare hereditary multisystem disorders which require lifelong specialist surveillance and are responsible for about 5% of all bowel cancers. In this issue, Patel and colleagues provide a considered overview. This includes discussion of some of the different syndromes, including the adenomatous polyposis syndrome, such as familial adenomatous polyposis coli, serrated polyposis syndrome, and hematomatous polyposis, for example, Pertzjäger syndrome, juvenile polyposis syndrome. There's a detailed discussion of the diagnosis genetics, need for surveillance, and practical management, including reference to recent developments in the field. The principal goals of management are first to identify at-risk patients through screening and predictive genetic testing, and then endoscopic surveillance to allow therapy and guide surgical prophylaxis. It is a complex field, and there are multiple conditions and multiple treatment plans and patients and families should be referred to a genetic centre or a polyposis registry where dedicated management can take place. This article is an invaluable reference source to help with detection, assessment and management, and it's editor's choice this month. The second article I'd like to consider relates to therapeutic drug monitoring in patients treated with infliximab. So it's possible to measure trough levels and antibodies and it's widely used to optimise treatment in inflammatory bowel disease. There are however only limited data on efficacy in the real world setting. In this issue Camperidis and colleagues explore this in a large retrospective cohort. 291 patients, 238 had therapeutic drug monitoring, and there were 672 results. So a good example of looking at a large amount of data to try and get conclusions that impact on practice. The authors looked at the action following the result and the impact on outcome, including remission rate, discontinuation of treatment, and surgery. Undetectable levels in the presence of antibodies were common in 40% and in 31.9% of patients at least once. Infliximab was discontinued in 37.5% of patients, more commonly in those who had not had therapeutic drug monitoring. Multivariate logistic regression showed not having therapeutic drug monitoring was an independent risk factor for surgery, 28.3% versus 12.2%. This is a really interesting data set to work through and does suggest the potential for significant impact if testing is systematic according to specific indications such as looking for primary or secondary loss of response and that the results are dealt with according to a treatment algorithm. There's an excellent accompanying editorial putting therapeutic drug monitoring knowledge into practice. The third article I'd like to consider relates to the multidisciplinary approach to the management of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. This is a big issue, but this article does show 
that that strategy results in some improvement in markers of liver and cardiometabolic health. Muller and colleagues report the outcome of cases referred to a multidisciplinary metabolic hepatology clinic established in 2014. They look at 165 cases seen two or more times. Interventions offered included lifestyle advice, signposting to weight loss services and pharmacological intervention for either diabetes or cardiovascular risk factors. The medium duration of follow-up was 13 months with a range of 2 to 34 months. The median ALT reduced by 11 international units per litre. This was statistically significant and the median weight reduced by 3.3 kilograms which was again statistically significant. There were in addition significant reductions in haemoglobin A1c, total cholesterol and liver stiffness. In summary, the authors demonstrate a multidisciplinary approach to the management is associated with improvements in liver-related and cardiometabolic-related health parameters. This has obvious long-term health implications and there's an excellent accompanying editorial, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, a multi-system disease that requires a multidisciplinary approach. The fourth article I'd like to highlight is part of our How to Manage series and it's How to Manage Chronic Diarrhea and the Elderly and really it comes from the excellent guideline produced by the British Society of Gastroenterology and published in GUT. It's interesting to work through this. Chronic diarrhea is common in primary and secondary care affecting up to 5% of the population at any given time and management isn't always straightforward and it certainly isn't consistent. So in this issue, Crooks and colleagues look at how to manage chronic diarrhea in the elderly. They talk about the specific things you have to look at, using a case-based approach to management, applying the guidance to explore assessment, investigation and treatment. This includes consideration of the fact that diarrhea means different things to different people. I remember being taught that as a medical student. Chronic diarrhea in this context is defined as persistent alteration from the norm with stool consistency between types 5 and 7 on the stool chart and an increased frequency greater than 4 weeks in duration. It's important to exclude an organic cause and that's well covered in the article. And it includes things like colorectal cancer, inflammatory bowel disease, drug-induced effects and faecal incontinence. The approach is pragmatic and helpful an essential reading for clinicians who regularly see these patients in practice. The next article I'd like to highlight relates to the shape of training review and really looking at its impact in the UK on training in gastroenterology. So this is quite challenging, it's a real concern and it really one of the issues is that it's got a re potential for reduced duration of training with the need to still acquire the same competencies. In the 2018 BSG trainees survey, there was reported to be a high degree of satisfaction with the speciality and training in it, but significant concerns regarding, for example, the acquisition of endoscopy competence, with only half of trainees achieving colonoscopy certification by the time they got their CCT and so consultant post. It's clear looking through this survey and thinking through these issues 
that novel strategies will be required to improve the rate of progression in endoscopy training, in particular if high-quality gastroenterology higher specialist training is to be delivered within four rather than five years. In truth, it's likely to include the need for training and time to be allowed for training to continue post-CCT. It's well worth going through this and it's well worth thinking carefully about these issues because of the massive implication they have for all of us. I'd like to highlight a guideline review. This is part of a new series where a guideline is looked at, assessed and a commentary written. So in this edition, Ashley Bond and Philip Smith comment on the recently published guideline for the management of acute lower gastroenterology for the management of acute lower gastrointestinal bleeding. So it's a common problem, the focus is on hospital care, and the guideline reflects collaborative work between gastroenterology, surgery, radiology, hematology, and patients. It's a great summary, including the key points and reference to the specifics of management. It's a great way to highlight new guidance, and I'd ask anybody who is interested in writing a similar piece to make contact with me. I'd like to finish this podcast with some good news. It's good news for the journal, but it's also good news for our mission, which is to publish papers that impact on practice. We've linked up formally with the British Association for Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition, and Frontline Gastroenterology will now be an official journal of the society. Great news for us and entirely in keeping with our mission to publish clinically focused research and reviews in gastroenterology, hepatology and nutrition to help clinicians in their practice and thereby impact on patient care. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Thank you very much for listening. All of the articles discussed are available on the journal website. Please continue to feedback about the journal. It's your journal and we should publish what you want in it and what you find helpful and I would encourage anybody who would like to write to make direct contact with me. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.